Hello, this is Fam Electric Ghost. We have fuzzed up music on the line. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to be here. So just do a little brief intro. Um, <laughs> the introduction. I'm, I'm Fam Electric Ghost. I'm a music producer and podcaster. I've been doing this show on Anchor FM since 2018. We finally we just reached 24,000 listeners worldwide, and we're part of Spotify just to give you that information. And uh, we're glad to have you on the show to talk about your your fuzzed up music. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible, honestly. Like, what a great achievement. Congratulations. And, like, I'm, I'm like, super honored to get to be a part of this. Well, we, we've been doing podcasting because, uh, you know, as a musician, you know, you need new ways to reach people. And, you know, we've been doing this since 2016, uh, on other platforms and we got on this platform but the cool thing is you know during this time we kind of doubled down we've been doing maybe four podcasts a week oh, dang. uh interviewing fans all over the world and um it's just a good way to get musicians uh in this covid crisis to have you know their fans you know give something to their fans oh um, yeah absolutely they haven't been able to, yeah or get them to be able to you know communicate to their fan base in, in a way that maybe they typically didn't do um so we're uh so we sent you the questions we're going to start with that so when did you first get into music what age we always ask all the artists we talk to that first question so from like a listening standpoint i got into music i've like always loved music since i was little when i was like really young i remember listening to like goo goo dolls and tom petty and journey and stuff in the car with my mom and i just i at a very young age i absolutely just fell in love with music i just always wanted to dance and sing and just there was always such this such a big draw to it and i always just loved it and then around probably early middle school sixth or seventh grade uh did different things with like getting into metal bands and stuff i mean started off as hard rock and we started to make our way towards metal um different projects like that fell apart and i quickly realized that a lot of people just didn't have the time or the energy or draw to actually really try and do this and make this happen as a dream and so that's that's what kind of drew me towards music production. Um, and it was funny because I I didn't used to be a big electronic music fan and such. And it was actually my older brother who actually started to introduce me to certain things. And I was, I was like, oh, well, it's <laughs> just pressing buttons. That's easy to make. And that's kind of what drew me to get into production. And then, you know, you open up a DAW for the first time and you're like, what is yeah, this? It's, <laughs> it's like an ancient language. <laughs> And then when I was around the age of 13, um, I actually had on my iPod Nano <laughs> um, at a friend's going away party. Um, I basically DJed for the first time. I was just playing different dance music that I'd been introduced to again, you know, mostly through my older brother more than anything. And I just DJed and got a bunch of middle schoolers dancing to, you know, EDM. I mean, this is like, 2010 or something like that so i mean this yeah, is this is old by today's standard um you know very very simple in, in comparison to today's complexity and they just we had a blast and it was like i sat there and realized that like 
maybe this is something to look into. And yeah, so that that was uh, pretty much the start of it for me. So, so you've been working on music, you know, at the next question since since that time. You, when you started to, you know, you already mentioned that you, you started getting introduced from being into like the garage bands or, mm-hmm. or you know, the basement bands or like your, you know, you know, young bands are probably more rock oriented. Mm-hmm. And you got into like, you know, music production in terms of like Dawes and stuff like that, electronic music. So so when did would you say that you officially became you know, like, like your own project or maybe you had multiple projects before this one? So it, it's hard for me to really put a date on it because I did. I had multiple projects and I was just messing with music production and DJing as a hobby more than anything. I want to say, like, you know, my name changed a billion times before I finally settled on one. And then uh, it was probably a little over a year ago that a friend of mine actually reached out to me. He's like, hey, I know you DJ. I've got some rappers that are hosting an event at its Pegasus Lounge here in Tampa. And, you know, for me, that's that was a big deal. That was a, a real venue. And it still is a real venue. I mean, it's still a great honor to get to play there when I when I play there. And so I did that. And that was really the first step into real like club gigging and DJing and stuff. And that is really what kind of jump started it all. Because after that, I started playing at places like um, Tampa Karaoke, which is also here in Tampa, and then um, Mad Chiller World. Again, you know, most of them are in Tampa, but outside of that, I mean, it, it jump started this whole career of playing in different places. And it's just been an absolutely incredible journey. So, so when did you realize that you could like write your own music in terms of like this music production in this, in this new format within the DAW? Uh, like they, they, you can, some people will go and just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll create beats or they'll create loops So you're creating like full song. So did for me, kind of thing. Yeah. Have Honestly, that that one was kind of tricky for me because even to this day, I'll still struggle to actually finish a track. Um, I find, honestly, it's hard for me to say this because I love EDM, but I find producing EDM to be pretty boring for the most part. It's it's so overly that complex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so overly <laughs> complex, and there's so many things you got to do so many tiny details that make such a huge difference that and don't get me wrong I feel like it's kind of solving a puzzle and I think it's a challenge and it's fun in some ways but I feel like it loses sight so much of what it means to just create music and so for me when it came to actually learning or actually figuring out that I could sit down and create music it was when I sat down and just stopped trying to make a specific type of music and just let it happen naturally and it was something i read online i think it was through like digital dj tips or something they had interviewed somebody i'm trying to remember who it was but off the top of my head i'm not 100 percent sure and it was saying that like the moment you sit down to make music and you decide i'm gonna make this genre of music you have limited mm-hmm. your creativity in so many ways because oh, yeah. you sit there and you might come across a sound that could change the world. And, and you went, and yeah, drop you it. dropped it because you're <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't fit into the, the tech house song that I'm making. And the reality is, it well, could, you got to have that. Yeah. yeah. So, 
you gotta have that drop structure and so like you could have something that maybe doesn't have like a trip wave or it's not trance or it's not you know you know some form of electronica and then you're kind of stuck to that formula mm. and if you're like it's not in the right yeah. beat, if it's not doing the right bpm if it doesn't have the drop in the right exactly place, if it doesn't then you're kind of like and then it doesn't have this certain drum sound you know can I, just to give a like i'm a kind of progressive electronic mm-hmm. i came bands like you know the idea of what i do comes from bands like yes yeah. and genesis and emerson lake and palmer yeah. and electronic music to me is i have modes yeah i know what you're talking I have about profit. i have rollins right mm-hmm. and i, I kind of i deal with modular synthesis additive synthesis subtractive synthesis on hardware sets yeah which is the original electronic oh yeah music. oh yeah that's and, the impressive stuff right there when you get into the actual like that, analog of it all yeah i'm an analog guy so i've got all this controlled voltage all these modes and there's something about like when you go to compose on a moog you can't be limited by like a doll. Mm. I'm a dollist recorder. Mm. I use hardware nice. because if you're using a, if you're using a, like I use Zoom, like L20s and mm. L24s. And yeah. the reason I do that is because if you're using like an analog mode, it takes 20 minutes for it to warm up. And <laughs> That's true. It, it, if you're creating like waveforms from scratch, you kind of go wherever it's going it, to, they kind of lead you. They're like members of the band. They yeah. kind of lead you where you're going to go. And if you had some conceived, like one day I might do some bebop. One day I might do some fusion. One day I might do something like, you know, like from like Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sitting and I, down and just letting it lead you and letting music really create itself at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, if you're on a piano and you start playing with chords, you know, that doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not the same thing as on a grid on a laptop because once you start playing with those chord arrangements of your keyboard, it's like, you can go anywhere. And yeah. if, you, if you're if you limited to the grid, now you can use that. Now use, you know, DAWs do some things that I can't do physically mm-hmm. on the piano. I like, yeah. to, I like to do things where you can't do that. And exactly. I think that's what's cool about those those machines. And then you can do something technically as, as, a, as a player you couldn't do. And so then that that's kind of cool. But then some people to limit themselves instead of doing something advanced they kind of they kind of get stuck in their genre yeah and they, they kind of like disco they disco it to death exactly exactly <laughs> i completely agree with that and yeah i mean i feel like everybody fails to realize a lot of times that when you're a musician or a dj i mean you hear djs say a lot well, i'm not a, ju- a jukebox well it's the same thing for being a producer like i'm not a genre i i'm i'm a producer i can sit down and i can make whatever i want and you know i go out and i dj and most of it's different types of edm mostly either i do do two types of sets i do house sets and then i do like trap and dubstep Mm -hmm. sets depending on you know the crowd the night what's going on i love doing both of them and when i sit down to make music you know yeah i've got a couple edm songs but the most recent stuff that i I released was not EDM whatsoever. It was it no, was all right. like chill hop and like, like lo-fi. Yeah, it's like shoegaze. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like uh, car car headrest. Yeah, you know, we got this kind of car seat headrest. Uh, you kind of like I hear. Now I'm kind of an old school guy, so I hear a little like uh, pieces that like Joy Division. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, bands yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, stuff stuff like that. Because I'm I'm you know I like that pop. pop 
Honda says I'm a coffee shop music. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get you completely. And honestly, it's such a cool yeah. thing to get to be compared to like Joy Division. Like that, what a great honor to get that said about my music. Like that. Well, the idea of coming in, coming into your songs, like with that kind yeah. of aesthetic, was kind of what, what the aesthetic they had was this kind of post punk. Yeah. They created like the new wave. Mm-hmm. I mean, they became New Order, you know, and then, yeah. you know, from that. But the idea that you could be kind of wide open, yeah. you could take what 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 you know a band like craft work did mm-hmm. and then and give it more structure yeah well know? and, and, and it, i think where a lot of that know. stems from for me is the fact that i mean like i said you know yeah i love my edm i listen to a lot of edm but on my regular day-to-day listening most of what i listen to is different types of alternative and metal and punk and uh, I know a lot of people like yeah. to use the term pop punk. I'm not a big fan of the term, but to describe more a more genre of what punk. they're trying to say, you know, <laughs> so, more but, like power punk, like who's to do that's, that's my kind of power. punk. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like a lot of my regular day-to-day listening is not electronically based music whatsoever. So I think I'll, we're going to see with a lot more of my music in the future. Um, we'll see a lot more of that influence I've got more like dubstep um, in the works as well as, um, you know, a couple rap beats. I got a friend that I'm working with with a lot of this. We just got to sit down and get like vocals recorded and stuff. So we'll see, you'll see a lot more of, you know, EDM and rap from me as well. But some of the stuff that I've got working on that I'm excited about is just, it's not. So would you, if you mix different genres, would you have the different genres in the same album or like different projects for different things? Like if you're doing dubstep, we have more dubstep step flavored project, or would you sprinkle it like Prince? You know, he would have multiple genres on the same record. That um, part I haven't really decided yet. I feel like if I'm going to release a lot of times, that I'll try to keep it together or release it, you know, as a single or something. It's hard to say. Um, we're going to see how, like, what comes together first. And, you know, because like I said, for the most part, when I sit down and make music, it kind of creates itself. And I don't like getting lost in the tiny little details yeah. of it all. Um, so that being said, with Outside Memories, the EP that I released, a lot of what I was yeah. making was all just kind of in the same style. And so it was very easy for me to just go, okay, you know what? I'm not going to release these as singles. I'm just going to release it all together. And so for that reason, you know, it's just everything I was working on at the time kind of fit together pretty well. And so for the future ones, I'm not sure yet. I I guess we'll kind of see. Well, I I love um, EP and album formats. And in this age of playlist, it's kind of hard to get audience to be into Mm -hmm. that. But, but, you know, I, I come from a, you know, like an era of the rock opera. Yeah. You know, Tommy, Quadrophenia, Pink Floyd. Uh, you know, and as a progressive synthesis, I would, you know, I'm 50 years old. So when I went to get a record, I, I mean, I, I would listen to Tommy on vinyl all the way yeah. through. And I think some of the things today, the kids are kind of missing that experience of that when you went to get a mm-hmm. record, you would go and take that vinyl, you go in the basement and you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I completely agree. Four the whole way through, you know, we didn't go and create a playlist and have like, you know, Led Zepp and the Who mm-hmm. all playing different tracks. We would listen to the Who next, Who's Next all the way through. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something some of the kids miss today. I understand that maybe it's cool that you can listen to so many different genres mm-hmm. and so many different things, but you missed out on an artist's 
you know, I look at musicians like, like authors mm-hmm. and their work, like they're, yeah. they're great novels. Right. Yeah. And so if you don't listen to like outside memories as a complete project and you just pick one song like close or you pick indoor skyline, you get a picture of it, but you don't get the picture of your full yeah. statement. Yeah. And I think that's where some kids are maybe are missing that. I see more people are getting into albums lately, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of hit or miss. It's kind of, you know, a lot of people still mm-hmm. doing the playlist thing. But how do you kind of handle that with 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 your audience? Do you find that your audience actually, you know, tell you like they like the whole project? They come back and say they like the whole thing, or do they just say they like a particular song? So for me, like it really depends on the person. I've definitely had a few people come up and say that they liked the the whole thing and they listened to the whole thing. And then you get those people that are like, oh, I like this particular song. Um, but I think a lot of times the ones that liked a particular song, I find are people that, you know, came across me online through like Instagram or something. Instagram is that big platform for me. That's the one that I really yeah, yeah. like to be active on. And I think a lot of times it's, you know, they went onto my page. Um, I had shared, um, you know, certain songs and they come across that one song and so they go and they go on to spotify and they just listen to that one song because that's the one they were looking for and it's it's really hard anymore because i think a lot of people get so stuck into a lot of the mainstream stuff that they don't really give entire albums or entire songs you know even a chance because like they're so used to like pop for example pop is so it's it's formatted in the way of okay it needs to be like three minutes and 30 seconds or less because of attention span and it needs to be released junk junk food exactly (laughs) and it needs to be released as a single because if you release it on an album they're not going to listen to anything else except for that hit track and don't get me wrong a lot of these artists you know pop stars and such come back around they release that single again with an album you do get some diehard fans that listen to the whole thing i know people that were hardcore you know one direction fans or you know justin bieber fans for example that wound up listening to the entire album and loving their entire albums but the everyday average listener just wants that one song for you know three and a half minutes and then move on and i I personally have been diving more into vinyl. Um, my neighbor across the street actually up and abandoned their home. And when the bank reclaimed it, they let us come in and just like have at it, take what you want. And came across, I came across just this huge thing of vinyls. And a lot of it's like, you know, old school Christmas music, but there was a Led Zeppelin album in there. There was, you know, some Michael Jackson and Jackson five and, now I have a whole bunch of vinyl records just sitting around. And then I flew out to Colorado recently to get my aunt's old car. And she gave me a vinyl record player as well. It's another older one. It's just like it's all coming together. And I was already trying to get into vinyl anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I would yeah. love to learn traditional vinyl DJing. It just costs an arm and a leg oh, to do yeah. it anymore. I've, I've talked, yeah. So, yeah, I've talked about yeah, there's some clubs in New York City they're now saying that they only want guys using vinyl. Yeah, yeah. and that's um, understandable completely. Because it actually, you know, it gets to a point sometimes where, you know, it is a certain skill set mm-hmm. on the vinyl mm-hmm. in hip-hop that that if you're just on the CVJ, you can't do what the old-school guys used to do. Well, and that's the thing, um, is that some of the guys on the old-school setups and what the old-school DJs used to do, 
on vinyl without all these extra bells and whistles or buttons and knobs are just very simple things and they're still outperforming some of the top DJs out there right now and i'm just like why wouldn't i want to learn that (laughs) which kind of like you know if you're i'm a musician right Mm -hmm. so like you know if you get a blues guy right a blues guy you know can kind of if you listen to like lead belly or you know Mm -hmm. you listen to the traditional blues yeah a guy like that doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles of a, like a Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. But he can end up like affecting you deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's the simplicity of music that gets to the core. You know, if you get, that's why I think people like punk because after, you know, you listen to too much heavy metal or too much new wave, you know, you listen to, you know, when Nirvana came on the scene and brought back punk, mm-hmm. then you're like, wow, that's why I like the clash. Yeah. That's why I like the Sex Crystals because it's that honest yeah. kind of bare bones thing that you can really cut through. And it's the same thing in hip hop when you're on a vinyl, a vinyl based DJ is able to do things in the simplicity of music has always been the thing. You listen to James Brown funk. Yeah. It's, 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 it's somewhat simplistic, but it's also complicated, yeah. but it's in that the spaces in the music and the, in the timing changes and what you can do. That's always been the thing that people sometimes get caught up in the layering mm-hmm. and all the st- capabilities on the dogs yeah. that forget that, you know, if you think about Prince and like a song like Kiss or a song like when Doves Cry, yeah. the fact that he took the bass line out, yeah. the fact that, you know, on, on, on Kiss, it sounds like a demo. Mm-hmm. A lot of Prince's songs have this demo aspect that, you know, he's like, I, I'm not going to finish it anymore yeah. because that will keep it more honest. Yeah. And keep it real with the, think, your listeners. Yeah. yeah I think, I think they forget that. They do too much processing. If you make it sound too perfect, mm-hmm. then it doesn't have the character. Well, yeah, and that, that's the draw to vinyl is that this is this is organic. This is real sound. Like, and it, it is. It's that, you know, back when analog was around, there's certain warmths that today we're, we're still trying to yeah. mimic, you know, analog yeah, sound with digital equipment instead of just using yeah. analog equipment. Like, it's there's... Like, yeah. why, we can still do this. Why are we trying to mimic it when we can just still do it with analog, yeah. you know? And I, was, I was talking to a guy, right? And he was telling me that his Moog plug-in was the same as my Moog. Mm. And then I had him come over, right? And I was like, well, here's a real Moog, yeah. right? Now, you tell me this sounds the same as your mm-hmm. plug-in, right? And he was like, oh, I guess not. Yeah, not even, not even <laughs> close. Well, and that's, yeah, that's why I have a lot of respect, though, for like artists like churches, for example. Churches, I mean, oh, yeah. they, they're used up there using yeah, Native Instruments Machina yeah. alongside, you yeah. know, real analog synths and stuff. And I feel like it's such a good combination of both. <laughs> you know, they really take both aspects of digital analog and make it work in such an incredible well, that, way. That's the way you should be. Like, you take, yeah, I mean, I have a teenage engineering OP yeah, set, okay, yeah. right? Full digital thing, but then I got a Mo grandmother, I got a Mother mm-hmm. 32, I've got something like a profit five that I rebuilt. Yeah. But um and the thing is about those things, like I love churches because they, they they got their they got their profits, they got their modes, they got a Juno one oh six, which is a classic, you know, Roland yeah. analog poly thing. Yeah. And it's you know something about those classic um Rolands. You mm-hmm. know, if you go back to Duran Duran they're using the Jupiter eight and the one oh six, those machines, they bring so much character if you're like you know, you're playing chords on something like a Jupiter mm-hmm. or, or a 106, a Juno, those things just, they just have this sound that you can't, 
really get is the analog nature of those machines is is something that people unless they really physically get one in there in you know and try it they they won't understand it it half of it is the control schema on these machines or is like performance capability like my moog i can change everything it's all right in front of me so when i'm playing and i'm taping it i'm doing things you can't do on a plugin because mm-hmm. i can touch all these controls mm-hmm. music yeah and I think that's what people forget that that's what a lot of the artists in the '80s used to do. Yeah. They had these, these synths, and they could change all the control surfaces in real time while they were down. Yeah. And you'll never really get to that unless you go into every little note and try to do it. And sometimes you, you still won't get it the way you do it if you're performing it. Um, oh yeah. And I think that's that's the piece that people, you know, that's why analog has come back. To a certain degree, I mean, Moog has come back with full force. They're oh, yeah. fully operational. Yeah, you know, 100%. Profit, sequential circuit is still making their Profit 6, which is a recreation of the 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still get these full analog polysense. They're expensive, but, you know, if you're in the business and you've been doing it, it's always worth it the further you get. If you can find find a Moog or find a Profit or find a Jupiter, you know, it's, it's a good investment. Oh, yeah, in what very you're doing much so. as a, as a yeah, so I'm I'm big into that. I'm glad you have, you have. I like I like the fact that the way you're writing, kind of brings me back to that vinyl time where you're actually doing complete thoughts, not just clips, mm-hmm. not just beats. That you have full full song statements. Yeah, that that's what I like to see artists. All the artists I interview as singer songwriters. That's why I approach singer songwriters probably more than anybody else I talk to. Is is because I like to get that novel as um, um, feeling when I listen to a singer songwriter yeah. writing the song, you know, you know, you get a complete. Yeah, song. and then it's it's it is. It's like you said before. It's all about like you know, like storytelling. And even if it's not from a storytelling perspective, people have to understand like the state of being that these artists are in, or the emotions that they're feeling when they record these songs and release them. I mean, I always see so many people get upset um, because you know certain bands their their sound has changed by the next album and it's like well yeah they've 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 changed as people they've changed that their emotions are different at the time you know what they're feeling what they're going through it's all very different i mean you look at a couple different bands i mean you look at Anberlin. look at how much Anberlin's sound changed over time and then you also look at bands like bring me the horizon they are so much different from where they were when they first started and they're still good though. They're still good. And they've yeah. changed as people. They've changed as artists. They've changed with the times. Yeah. But it's not a matter of, oh, they're just trying to make what's popular. No. Like I said, you know, yeah, I DJ, I do a lot of electronic music, but I don't really enjoy making a lot of electronic music a lot of times. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, sometimes I sit down and I'm just having a blast with it. But a lot of times yeah. it's just a matter of, what I'm feeling at the time. And when I did Outside Memories, it was very indicative of what was going on. I mean, we were all, I mean, for Florida, at least, we were all locked down in quarantine. We were supposed to Mm -hmm. stay home. Like, we couldn't go anywhere. Nothing was open. If you went on the interstate to go get, you know, food that was to go, Florida, our interstates are, there's normally a ton of people. People tell you about our drivers all the time. It was empty. Places that would normally take you 45 minutes to get there were taking you 20 minutes because there was no traffic. And it was just 
That's like Boston. Yeah. Like Boston was the same thing. When we were all locked down, there was like nothing going on. You're like, wow. Yeah. Like, so that you never you could take two hours to get home. You know, <laughs> you're like, you get home. Yeah, you're just you're just there suddenly. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, it was very indicative of what was going on and what I was feeling at the time because I mean, there wasn't anybody around. I was stuck at home and, you know, I'm, I was happy. At least I got to be home with my family and stuff. So I was, I was happy, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, you know, the best interactions that I could have with my friends were gaming online or we were doing music production while in a discord call, just trying to talk and produce music together. And we we're all working on our own projects, but it was still this, yeah, yeah. it was the best we could do at the time. And even though we still had interaction with one another, it was, it was a lonely time. There wasn't anything to do. There, were, I mean, we were stuck at home. You, you take a lot for yeah. granted. Hell, even going to work, you take it for granted when you can't even leave the house, really. And yeah. I'm big into, like, <laughs> virtual reality gaming, for example. I love virtual reality. I think it's an absolute blast. VR chat is just incredible. I have my VR chat fam. Um, but even that, interacting with people on VR chat and going to house parties on, you know, in VR and stuff, it was weird. It was really weird because it got to a point where I went from being a complete social butterfly to just being completely introverted. And it just happened more and more over time. Even with my gaming and stuff, I was just, I was talking to people less and less. And it was very interesting to watch myself change over that time and i've still held on to a lot of it because partly because i liked who i was during quarantine i liked the fact that i didn't require as much interaction and attention as i used to so i also started focusing on my own health and myself as a person mm -hmm. and sitting down and actually making music for a change like you know my life was so busy before i was out djing you know, four or five times a week. Sometimes I was playing, going to three, three, four venues in a night. I mean, I jumped from, from Ebor to, you know, to, to like North Tampa down to South Tampa. And like, we would just be all over the place sometimes. And yeah, working musician. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you get, you down that treadmill. Yeah. I think what's interesting is like, I'm a Buddhist and part of being in you know, Buddhism is to kind of, when we do our meditation and our chanting, mm -hmm it kind of is like able to slow things down and kind of do this thing where you can, you, you kind of take that peaceful mm -hmm. time. So for me as a producer, a lot of time as a producer musician, like you do spend a lot of quiet yeah. time because most of what I do is production more than performing. Yeah. And, and I, I found that this time was just consistent with the way I was always behaving. Yeah. But, but it, I had less interactions because I did Uber as, as a side. Okay. Group. Yeah. And that was kind of done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this, in this, in this time, I was like, it's too risky to do it. So I'm like, I'm not doing yeah. that. Um, and so that was where I had a lot of social interaction. I get a lot of stories from being an yeah. Uber. You know, it, it having this connection to people and using it to buy my mugs yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's just, uh, you know, not being able to have that uh, interaction. I kind of dived into my meditation more and more of uh, you know spending on time on like, oh, I'm gonna write that rock opera. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to, you know, have this idea. I'm going to sketch it out and I'm going to dive. And most of the musicians I've been talking to, I talked to this one lady in uh, London and she was diving on classical composition mm -hmm. and adding orchestration to her work. Yeah. So she took, instead of having a tour, she spent, you know, the last couple lockdown months teaching herself 
how to actually integrate orchestration into our music. That's incredible. Which she never had. Yeah. And then, you know, she took that and I've, I've talked to a bunch of artists. I had a guy who was like, he was a guitar player, learned bass. Had a, yeah. you know, a, a guitar player went, you know, got a drum set and said, I'm going to, I'm going to teach myself the drums. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do it, but I'm on tour. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Now I'm doing it. And so people kind of taking it to, a lot of creative people are taking advantage of, you know, alone time. Yeah. That creative going to take this anyway. <laughs> yeah that's how yeah, we, well, yeah. we have to take which is less interruptions this time <laughs> yeah to actually get a complete thought done and actually maybe tighten the music and i've seen a lot of people creating really good music mm-hmm. and so I, I feel good i think about the future where people are like are starting to realize that sometimes i need to be less mm-hmm. connected for a little bit yeah just to, to be able to finish something <laughs> yeah no i agree with that completely and Still we are so we're, distracted well yeah and we're in such this age of such you know instant gratification like i said even with pop music it has to be under a certain length of song because viewers and listeners they they lose attention and so you have to keep everything like you know constant 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 and i think it's been yeah it's been (laughs) well and it does it just keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter and i think it's been such a wake-up call like we were saying for a lot of people to sit down and take time and really take a step back from that instant gratification in everyday life. I mean, I used to work at Bath and Body Works for a while and we we had these people that would come in and they got their soaps and if they didn't get their soaps, I mean, they had a meltdown sometimes. I've I've witnessed people get into fist fights over soap. Um, uh, Long story, you know, a lot of stories of that instant gratification and stuff and then you oh, go yeah. to There's the fact problem. that all the Bath and Body Works were closed. So now they're, now they're totally done. They got to go to Amazon. <laughs> they got to go to Amazon. So yeah, but it was just one of those things where it's like you know things that people were taking for granted. Of I can just go get it whenever I want. I can get it right now. I can get it right there on the spot. To you got to wait. Yeah, you can't. You got to either order it online and good luck ordering a lot of things online right now because even then it was taken for. Ever. It would take forever. So, I yeah, mean, you yeah, know, two, two day prime shipping turned into, yeah, we'll have it to you in about two weeks and that's prime. <laughs> like, yeah. So, it, it's changed a lot of people. And I hope a lot of people have well, taken the time to improve can... as people yeah. during this time. Well, I'm hoping, it feel like, you know, as being a kind of musicologist, this age has felt kind of like the 50s bubblegum period. Mm-hmm where there was a lot, you know, bands didn't have albums. They had singles. Yeah. And the singles were like 2.3 minutes, you know, yeah. 2, 4 minutes, 40 seconds. We seemed to be, we slid back into that. Yeah. Where, you know, what happened was, you know, the Beatles and George Martin happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and they expanded the pop dictionary. Yeah. You know, that you could have full albums like Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album and, you know, let, you could have these full concepts. And in the 70s, it's, it's full of that. And it, it continues through the 80s. But, you know, after, you know, Napster kind of killed that, um, you know, iTunes and the, all these streaming services kind of changed that mm-hmm. to go backwards where we're back to like pre-Beatle yeah. time. Yeah. And, and I think, but I think during this lockdown, I have seen more people, you know, expanding their, their song length. And I interview lots of bands and I'm seeing their songs creeping into five minutes, six minutes, seven minute songs. Yeah. Um, and that's very positive to me because I, like I said, I'm, I'm in an age where I would sit you know, in the basement listening to the wall. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and listening to Quadrophenia and the 
they're, you know, they're going to go, you know, or yes, those songs go eight, nine minutes, you know, yeah. sometimes they're like the whole side of an album. And, and, and it seems like I'm hoping that music fans will get back into more substantial thought provoking, you know, things that make them kind of, Oh, wow. This artist is actually trying to say something. Yeah. And maybe I, yeah, I, I agree with back that. And listen, you know, and, and oh. I'm hoping because of what's going on, you know, that there's a deep nature to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And well, so people might want something more substantial to feed their head. <laughs> yeah. And I think after this, and I think we've seen a lot of it already as I, as I talk about it, um, what I think we're going to see a lot of is, you know, we, we saw a lot of like the metal and the, like the metal scene and the emo kids and stuff. They all really kind of died down for a while. But, you know, here's hoping that all the teenagers that have been, you know, locked inside with their parents for, you know, a couple months yeah, now kind of brings that back. Yeah, yeah the teen angst and stuff comes back into play. The um, second wave of grunge, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like bring, bring certain, like, you know, subcultures back. Um, I had taken a class in college. It was one of my IDS classes. I took it with my sociology professor, but it was how culture has, you know, influenced and affected music. And it was very interesting to go through and see all of this. And I think we're going to see a lot of subcultures come back around and kind of come back out because I mean, right now, I mean, you're pretty much your everyday average Joe or you're a, a, a raver or you're into rap music. And even the rock kids and the metal kids, they're not really heavily around and they don't really express it in you know, in their clothing and what they do in everyday life as much anymore. So you're pretty much, you're one of like the mod. Yeah. You're like one of three things right now. So like, I think we're going to see a lot of things evolve very quickly. Like we were saying, we're already seeing music change and turn back to certain roots of longer songs and stuff. So I think, I think fashion's going to revolutionize very quickly. I think, you know, culture as a whole is gonna change we're gonna see a lot of subcultures come back into play and yeah. i think we're already yeah, starting to see it like you go into 60s you know you get the like political music, exactly you know, protest music. you get like dylan you know saying the times are changing mm-hmm. and, you know writing those songs inspired a whole generation to say hey i can actually use music to have some kind of statement yeah besides and- just you know be getting jiggy with it (laughs) well and yeah i think i think we're gonna see kind of you know like you were saying we're already kind of in that 50s and i think we're gonna go through 60s 70s 80s 90s and all of that again um because and i think yeah or or all at once or very rapidly um because i mean we're already in a time where there is a lot of political unrest it doesn't matter what side of things you're on if you're hell i'm i'm an independent personally it doesn't matter yeah, what yeah. side of things you're on. Everything politically is in a complete uproar right now. And I think we're going to see more yeah. of that into music. Well, you yeah, get I mean, into yeah, that rebelliousness, social... that's going to add in. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. There's the whole social disruption of the whole world because of COVID mm-hmm. is going to cause you know artists to react to it in different ways because there's a total upheaval. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... You know, the environmental movement's going to be like reminding people that, you know, things like this kind of come from environmental destruction. There's going to be social movements that say, you know, certain people are affected more than other people. So there's going to be all kinds of things, statements coming out from artists, yeah. you know, and and in that, I mean, when those statements come out, they're not going to fit the pop formula. You know, they're oh, not yeah. going to fit 
like a beat formula or a clip formula they're going to be what the artist felt you know and so that's what i've been running into with a lot of the artists i'm talking to and it's interesting that the music tools that are out here today mm-hmm. you know there's more and more rules like beatbox groove boxes mm-hmm. which are a big thing in the 90s have come back yeah which allow people to have full production capabilities without a computer um oh yeah and and then you know and then you know the analog sense from like moog and profit and sequential mm-hmm. circuits you can get a synth that could re- recreate what pink floyd did yeah you know they can recreate what pete townsend did on who are you yeah. so you can get those sounds again and you know i think that's going that's already starting i've been talking to bands in berlin and in the netherlands and in australia and there's a lot of a lot of like modular synthesis or guys who are doing very experimental stuff, kind of like what Kraftwerk mm-hmm. and Brian, you know, yeah. and Bowie. There's a lot of people doing that work and it's, it's in the underground it's bubbling up and it's starting to come back. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think we're going to see a lot of those elements start to pour into modern music a lot more. So, you know, old school elements that were extremely expressive and creative. I mean, back to like a, a cultural standpoint, we've, we've already seen, I mean, take rap, like in the rap scene right now, we have seen a lot of the rap music start to hybridize with a lot of like the emo and metal and stuff. You've got rappers right now who are full on doing metal screams, but rapping oh, yeah. throughout tracks. You You've got, got like full bands, yeah, and, full bands, like with, with a rap artist, with a full band. Yeah, and you've, you you're know? getting a lot of this hybridization of this cross between emo and rap. I mean, you look at artists like Little Peep. You look at artists like, you know, XXX Temptation, um, or even even Juice World. You look at Little Uzi Vert. You look at their styles, even what they wear, and how they yeah, changed the future, a lot. The Hot Future group, you know, if you look at like where Earl Sweatshirt mm-hmm. and Tyler and Frank Ocean, yeah. these guys are a mixture of jazz, soul, psychedelia. Mm-hmm punk yeah the, these collectives have like every you know the odd future collective had punk it had soul and hip-hop and yeah. rock it's got experimental progressive music going on mm-hmm. so those things are to me it's very it, it's really interesting in 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 the hip-hop era or the area of music mm-hmm. there are complete albums that people are willing to buy yeah and listen to as full projects mm-hmm. you know from Frank Ocean's Blonde to like Tyler, the creator's, um, you know, last like song, I think it was um, Igor. Yeah. Igor was a concept record. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so these, it's interesting that if you, you know, you fans are like guys like Earl Sweatshirt, they'll say they listen to the whole record. Yeah. You know, guys who are, so in that genre, it's more common for people to actually listen to the complete thought yeah i mean yeah right, so definitely that's, that's even with like kendrick lamar stuff um kendrick yeah, lamar is yeah. very similar as well in the way that his albums are meant to be listened all the way through you're supposed to, it's supposed to read like a message you know it's like a yeah, story like, like back to what like we were saying album. back to yeah, yeah that that like novel concept. yeah it's like like listening to tommy or quadrophenia or listening to the wish you were here mm-hmm. you know from floyd i mean that's a complete thought yeah uh, and that that to me it's it's kind of the baton was passed from like the bands like Pink Floyd to the hip hop community, which has embraced the the concept album. Well, and it's you know, they've, I, it's really interesting, and I think it's it's a part of this coming full circle thing because I mean we look we talk about you know 
you know, a lot of rock artists that used to do this and it's going back to now the hip hop artists and stuff. And I think it's very indicative of, you know, history repeating itself. I mean, you figure rock and roll at its core came from the African-American community. So yeah, you led belly, yeah, you know, Robert Johnson. And yeah. it was, it was, I hate to use the word stolen from, but it was, it was stolen from them. Yeah. I mean, you look in the forties and the fifties when it was really evolving, you had these amazing black artists who would put out these incredible tracks and then record labels would come in, re-record the track with a white artist and then release it and say, this is white music. And yeah, I think yeah. that is just I mean, like a, absolutely incredible thing to see how real music and how really listening and how music's supposed to be listened to has already come back full circle and gone back to its real original roots at this point. I mean, as an African-American artist, I've, I've always kind of known the history, you know, from like a lot of the American art. Ooh, I think forms, I lost connection. You know? <laughs> You're still there? You, you there? Hello? I hear you. Hello? I can Drop briefly off. hear you, but I think I lost connection here. I still hear you. I can hop over Wait. to a different one. Hello? Oh. I... <laughs> yeah, I'm here. You got me? Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, but it was, it's interesting that I was... Keith Richards is a big proponent of um, supporting some of the classic, you know, blues guys. Mm -hmm. And, and, and being, and so is Jack White, he's a big archivist yeah. and trying to support that genre. Because a lot, you know, a lot of people were kind of upset at Led Zeppelin in that they used to cover a lot of Robert Johnson, a lot of Led Belly, and not mm. cite it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> where like Keith Richards and, and, and Jagger were always into citing mm -hmm. where they got their influences from. And they would go back and they would, you know, give money back into that community. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Robert Plant and, and the boys and Zepp seem to not understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate, you know, Led Zeppelin and they're a great band. But the Stones were always kind of, you know, as an African-American musician, I was like, well, you know, the Stones are kind of doing it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I appreciate music and I understand where they're coming at and they've got great songs. But I do kind of like, I really appreciate Keith Richards' like um, affinity and understanding of that art form. Yeah, and where, and where things really, really originate with. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, you know, a big thing because I'm a big jazz guy, right? A mm -hmm. lot of what I do comes from, from Miles Davis, comes from Herbie Hancock. Yeah. You know, Coltrane. There's so much stuff there that some, you know, music fans, I, I would always, I always tell somebody, would say, what should I listen to? I said, well, you know, you ought to listen to some some kind of blue you ought to listen to you know uh you know some sunrock or you know, i always give people like like because in those in that form that american form from from those artists there's so much content there's so much you know mus musicality yeah and jazz that you can use it in every genre exactly you, you, and it has it, it, has, it has yeah it definitely has i mean you look at like heavy metal as we know it it comes from jazz music like the scales and such that are used all evolved from jazz music so like you were saying i i really think more people need to go back and i know a lot of people aren't a fan of jazz but i think they need to give it a chance and realize hey this is where a lot of what you listen to comes from yeah yeah, I mean, if you listen to Hendrix and you listen to, like, you listen to Mitch Mitchell playing the drums mm -hmm. with Jimmy Hendrix, Mitch Mitchell's style of drumming is 
totally jazz based. Yeah. And the, the reason Hendrix was so innovative is he embraced that jazz, you know, capability that Mitch had. Yeah. With his cosmic blues. And then he met, you know, he had this jazz capability and he had a drummer that had the capability to go there. Yeah. And, and that's why the experience doesn't sound like any traditional rock band because they actually have so many fusion elements in what mm-hmm. they're doing that, you know, not, not a lot of people get that. It was always oh, just rock and psychedelic. It's really a jazz fusion. Oh, I agree um, with that completely. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting to talk to artists. I love talking to artists like yourself that, that are kind of like have the history. I think mm-hmm. all musicians are to a certain extent have have a musicology kind of thing going on because they're yeah. reference points. So I didn't really get into your reference points because I always like to ask that. Yeah. If yeah, who are your the artists that you really are inspired by, and in, in in you know you would name check as being you know people that you know you you wanted to, you know maybe you know continue that work and maybe your take on it. Okay. So for me, like I was saying, when I when I was little, a big part of what influenced me was you know Tom Petty, Goo Goo Dolls, Journey. Um, and now when I'm DJing more than anything, and it's very separate from what I would label for, you know, when I actually produce, but for DJing, I would say artists like, you know, Joyride, Jaws, um, Tisoki and Dogblood, they all have this very fusion-esque thing of multiple genres going on. When I go to see, you know, if I see Joyride or Jaws, you know, doing a live set, you know, when they're DJing, it's, it's a combination of multiple types of music. They have this, they'll play different types of house music, but they'll also play trap. They'll play some dubstep stuff. They will play songs that are a hybridization of multiple genres. And it's such a, this high energy and fun set. Like you just, you have to dance. It's, it's so much energy and such a good vibe and you get so many different genres at once. And so when I would say when I was, when I DJ, that would be a big draw and a big influence for me would be those artists like Jaws and Joyride, Soki, Dog Blood. Um, I label Dog Blood in there, even though they're not as close to the other three, but I label them mm-hmm. because they, they really do real house music in some of their sets. And when I listen to it and I, yeah, I mean, there, there's a draw for me. And that's why I said I do two different types of sets. I do those high energy trap dubstep, mm-hmm. high energy house stuff. And then I do real house music sets because yeah. I love doing yeah. both. And it's a very different performance both times. I mean, when I'm doing trap and dubstep, you know, people really go hard. They'll headbang there. They really get into it. But the same can be yeah, said. It's got kind of a punk aesthetic. It has a little bit of a punk aesthetic. Yeah, and, and but the same can be said for real house music. People really get into it. People they get up and they actually dance. I think that's one of my big draws to real house music. Is yeah. it doesn't have a whole lot going on. It's not overly complex, but people love it. Yeah, kind of like kind of like funk. Yeah, people, you know, you like. I'm a Parliament Funkadelic. I'm a big James Brown. <laughs> I got you. Well, and, and, and funk, yeah, yeah, funk was that kind of you know it really gets people going. Yeah, like in the seventies that way. I think in the seventies, you know, what you do today with the house and and the dubstep and and what you're doing as a DJ kind of equates to what funk was in the seventies. Yeah, you know that yeah. was that was the kind of house music in mm-hmm. the early seventies. That's what people 
really got into the groove. Yeah. With fun. I, I feel it has some elements of where it seems to come from that. Oh, very much so, because, I mean, you look at house music today, and it still has heavy funk elements into it. I mean, it's still heavily influenced by funk music. You have older funk tracks that have been sampled and still are used in today's house music. And I look at that more of a, you know, honoring the tracks that came before it. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it is. It's all about that groove. You just kind of you vibe with it. You just groove with it. And you just really enjoy the music. It has that very old school effect on people. And like I said, I've, I've sat there and played just, I'm not talking future house or bass house or, you know, whatever. Real house music. And oh, yeah. when you sit down and do that real house <laughs> music set and you see people having a blast to it, you know that it's alive and well and that it's that old school effect and that these tracks, these funk tracks, like we were talking about, they did incredible things for music. And to this day, they still yeah. are, you know? Yeah, I mean, Parliament Funkadelic and James Brown are the basis of all hip hop. You mm -hmm. know, they, they're heavily sampled, like Bootsy Collins' bass lines and uh, Bernie Warrell's keyboard work. Yeah. The basis of almost all hip hop. And, you know, and, and it segs into the genres you're talking about. Their work, you know, combined with James Brown and Sly and all the other funk funksters at that time, it 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 is just something that's uh, I don't know. It's just there's in this innate capability. Then it all came from jazz. <laughs> yeah. I mean, funk is just a taking jazz, taking jazz and and tightening it up to make yeah. it have a groove. Yeah. Jazz sometimes will go and and not have the groove and go and be mm -hmm. very experimental and maybe come back to a groove. And what Parliament mm -hmm. Funkadelic and Bootsy and those guys did is say, well, we're going we're gonna to stay in the group. Yeah. And they actually stayed that. And that's where it kind of came from. It came from the guys had jazz capabilities saying, well, I'm going to stay in these grooves so that the dance folks can get to it. Can get to and it, the, yeah. The, yeah, and, the, and the, you know, the hipsters in the jazz club, they don't really like that. They wanted to go off in a different way. And, and it's, you know, yeah. the, the same players are playing the same things, but they, they went to different zones and said, well, you know, I want to yeah. get into that zone with this hip, these hippies that want to get funky and want to dance, and then boom, that's what you get. Yeah, well, and it's incredible to see because, I mean, if you think about that and you look at it from a DJing standpoint, it, it's really where DJing ultimately started is with being able to keep people dancing. But at the same time, it's completely experimental. It's completely doing it on the fly. And it's, you know, those yeah. jazz roots of let's just keep this going. Let's just freestyle it. And that's yeah. why a lot of times when I DJ, I don't practice or pre-plan any of my sets anymore. I get up there and I groove with it and I vibe with it. And, you know, I, I groove with the people. It's all about watching the crowd and seeing what they're feeling. And well, that's to... the way your real musician does. You know? <laughs> it, 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 like, you, have, you have your song, you have your main, you know, you have what you're going to do, right? You're, yeah. You're a musician, you, you practice, you, you have it. But it's like what every great musician does is when they get in front of a crowd, the reason you know, I used to love to go to concerts back in the 70s and stuff, you know, I see the Almonds or I go see Funkadelic is because I knew every time I went to go, they were going to do it different. Yeah. And they were kind of going to vibe off the crowd and they were going to give me a different version of Maggot Brain from the day before. You know, they, yeah. they were going to do it, you know, tear the roof off. It's going to sound the same. It's always and, a different you, vibe. 
Yeah, you see the dead because they're going to play it different. They're going to, mm. you know, do you see Dylan? Because Dylan would actually pull out totally different lyrics to Idiot Wind. You yeah. know, he would have whole versions, depending on how he felt, he would have a different story with different lines. And you're yeah. like, wow, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And some people today have kind of, you know, have lost that, you know, with some of the pop bands. They oh, yeah. So much, they're totally on, on, they're on their sequencers, they're on their main stage, they're controlling it to such a degree. And they have no creativity when it's like, why don't you change the lyrics? Why don't you go and do a, the part that you, you didn't put out? Yeah. That's what the ba- old bands used to do. They would go out on, you know, Tom Petty would do a different line they didn't get to do. You know, yeah. when he performed it, he would change the song and maybe play a, the verse that didn't get on the record. Yeah, and do and something that people, people haven't want, seen yeah, before. See. Well, yeah, and to, don't get me wrong. I have a great respect for, like, modern pop stars and the hard work and the you know, the, the, between the lights and the choreography and, oh, you know, yeah, all of it is absolutely incredible. But yeah, but at the same time, you know, it, it's, it's all part of that instant gratification, like we said previously. And it's all about everybody getting the same experience and getting to do the it's same more thing. more like theater. But, it's almost like you're doing a Broadway show. Yeah. And, 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 it, and that's what kind of separated theater. music from, from theater though, was, you know, it was more, more unique in the sense that every time, like you said, it was a unique experience. Yeah, I get that people like that theater and they like that replication, and, and that's cool. And, but but I think like the like if when you're a musician, it's more fun. Like you said, don't you don't have to practice, or if you do practice, you kind of like well, I'm going to give the crowd a different variation. Yeah, and and still give them the beat or give them whatever, but you're going to give it to them in a different way that makes you feel good. You know, there was this funny story about the Eagles. You know, in the Eagles during like uh, Hotel California era, um, the like the Glenn Fry and um, uh, you know um, he had this thing where he's really tight, right? So he decided the whole Hotel California concert they were going to do it note for note exactly like the album. Okay. If anybody in the band didn't do it, they got fined. He would find Joe Walsh. He'd find him. <laughs> he'd find, and they all would get fined if they didn't play it exactly as the record. Yeah. And it was so mind-numbing that the band was like becoming like very disinterested in even doing it because it, yeah. it wasn't you know you just should never do that to a band. It's like you, you're gonna you, you constrain them so much, and yeah. it kind of reminds me of what you know that was in the '70s and they were playing live instruments, but they were making themselves almost constrained like they were running a sequencer. Yeah, like kind of like a robot at that point. Yeah, and it's that, that's not really where you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to give people something new. You have to, I mean, like you, you got to set yourself apart in some way or another anymore, because like, for example, with rappers and DJs and stuff, there are countless other rappers and DJs there. You have to be doing something different. You have to be setting yourself apart in some way or another, because if you're not, you just get lost in that local level crowd of, well, yeah. he's just another local DJ. And if you're not bringing a, a spin on something or your own unique take on something or even just a unique experience all around, then you're not going to set yourself apart enough to actually go somewhere with this. And it's interesting because in the EDM community, we're seeing certain artists who have kind of broken off. And I was having this discussion with one of my friends um, we look at artists like Porter Robinson and Maddion who have started off 
very EDM-esque mm -hmm. and had major tracks that heavily influenced the EDM community and are now kind of doing their own hybridization thing. They're considered part of the EDM community, but at the same time, they get up there with real instruments. They get up there with some yeah. new form of performance. I mean, Mattion gets up there, and even though it's all through, uh, through MIDI controllers and stuff, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of them. He's got like eight of them up there with him, and he's just completely freestyling it and doing things on the fly. I mean, you looked at artists like the Crystal Method. Um, I know it's just one of them now, but back when there was two of them, it was all done on the spot. It was all yeah. that unique experience on the fly. And now you look at artists like Porter Robinson, who he has gone and done his own thing completely. It still has those electronic elements to it, but it is its own thing. Um, Son Holo as well. What's cool about that is it's actually going back to the original electronic music back in the late fifties. Yeah, exactly. When, when the when the modular modes came up with these gigantic, you know, look like mainframe computers, <laughs> and you had like you know Keith Emerson and the guys from Yes, you know Rick Wakeman, Bernie Worrell, they had these big modular synths, and you kind of did create stuff on the fly. They, mm -hmm. you know, I would say my my modular analog gear that I have in my bedroom studio it causes you to create like what DJs create with all these, you know, you know, MIDI controllers and pro tools. You on an analog synth, you can use a low frequency oscillator to create a loop. That's an analog loop. Yeah. You can create analog clips and you can have these clips kind of kind of rotating and building up on each other with all your different analog synths. Mm -hmm. And it's very rhythmic and it can do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these guys are figuring out that they can, you know, to get MIDI controllers and they run analog girl <laughs> racks and yeah. create all their grooves off of analog equipment. And I've, yeah. in Europe, in Berlin, this is what's going on. In, yeah. This, in London, this is what's going on. I've been talking to a hype. I was talking a couple of days ago to a classical musician that <laughs> plays a, 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 a harp and oh, integrates, it, integrates it with like analog and digital equipment. That's and incredible. does like full instrumental sets with her harp and all this electronic equipment. And, and it's, it's really cool. I mean, I'm seeing more and more people doing that. They're bringing yeah. drummers on stage. They're bringing guitar players on stage, horn sections, and they're doing a hybrid between the DAW and the modular and the analog and the samples. And that's really EDM, you know, is that's where it's going to go. Oh, yeah, I agree with that easy, completely. It might not be EDM anymore, but it, it's going to be something else. It's going to actually go back to electronic music. Well, that's what I'd say. I think we're going to see the term dance music, just dance music. Again, not electronic dance music, but just dance music dance. in general yeah, again. Whatever it, and, yeah. I mean, we already look overseas a lot at, like, you know, some of the European countries over in the UK and stuff. Um, things like house and techno, they never died over there. House and techno are, oh, yeah, they're, they're strong. They're going extremely strong. It's interesting because people don't realize that American EDM, we still draw all of our influences from over in Europe. It still affects our scene. What's big over there comes over here. And for a while, when I really first started doing my gigs and like going to actual clubs and stuff, the first couple months, like I said, it was mostly dubstep and trap for me. And then I, I was looking, and I'm like, you know, house and techno are really starting to grow over here. And next thing you know, I started doing, 
I did electro house. Um, so it was yeah. still some high energy house music, but everybody I was DJing with was trap and dubstep. And it was very interesting because, you know, I was the only guy doing house in a sea of <laughs> trap and dubstep. And since doing that, house music, I, I don't want to say it's grown because of me, because I've discovered a lot of other people, though, that felt the same way. And yeah. I've tried to grow a community of, you know, house music in the area. And it was already there. There was already people doing it. I just had to find them. And that's now that I, I see it, it's just there's so many house music and techno lovers. And it's interesting because even though I, I focused mainly on house music and trying to find other artists doing house, mm -hmm. you start to find some of the techno artists along the way. Um, one of my favorites, uh, his, uh, two, two DJs that I absolutely love that are doing, they do techno sets. One of them is mostly house. Uh, my buddy, uh, DJ Panda, he does a lot of house sets with me. We just vibe so well together. But even when he does techno sets, he does an incredible job. Um, him and Where's Rin is another one. He plays a lot of ER with me, but I actually know him in person. Both of them will do techno sets sometimes because I host house nights at one of the venues that I play at. And I allow techno DJs to play as well because, you know, house it's hard enough to find house DJs. And I couldn't imagine, you know, techno DJs are having an easy time trying to find places, you know, at least in my area, it, yeah, it's probably it's, pretty it's, hard for them to find places. What's cool, I guess, like in the, in the, in the Euro scene, or even in like, you know, if you go into like Seoul or Tokyo, and I was, t I spent two years in Tokyo back in, the, in 2004, 2006. And, you know, the scene in Tokyo was just amazing because you had, you could find everything. There was like everything. You had yeah. guys doing like neo soul. You had guys doing punk rock. Mm -hmm. You had guys doing like you know Joy Division. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know they were doing everything. And and that that and it just what I like about the kind of European or the, the international scene. There seems to be more willingness to do cross genre, mm -hmm. and and also more willingness for an audience. Like in a show, you could go to a show and you could have an EDM DJ and then a punk rock band and then a soul singer and then a hip hop yeah. in the same club in yeah. the same set and it doesn't have to all be one yeah and that they, that that kind of ability to, for the audience to not be so strict in their taste was always something I appreciated when I was overseas I was like wow that's a scene that I really I got yeah. a booking agent that's actually going to get me over there. And then now we all got locked down. That's awesome. <laughs> but, but well, then, not, not awesome on the lockdown part, but awesome yeah, on the fact that you were going to get to do that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, the scene I'm in is like the synth wave, yeah. you know, mod modular scene and it's real heavy. There's a lot of guys, they just go on stage with a Euro rack and all they do is experiment all night. Yeah. And then the crowd is into it. And yeah. that, that's kind of like where you want to be. Like the fact that you can be that free and that creative is always inspiring to me when I yeah. when we get like a scene that supports that mm -hmm. that that's really cool for the musicians involved yeah. you know yeah I agree with that completely because I mean and we need to see I think more of it here in the United States as well because like I said you know we ultimately we draw a lot of our influences from over in Europe and in the UK and stuff and what they're doing I mean even our fashion right now I mean you look at fashion and it is Japan yeah. is the center of the world for Japan, for fashion right now. 
So yeah, that yeah, being that, said, yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, yeah, we, we're, we're kind of like the melding pot of everything. Like everything just comes in and kind of melts into the United States because we are such a multicultural country. We, we have people from all places here. It's, you know, it's an incredible thing. And I, I really hope to see, you know, more peace amongst all the cultures that are here in the United States, because I know there's a lot of unrest, but what we have going on from a cultural and artistic standpoint in the United States is an absolutely beautiful and incredible thing. And it's the only place in the world that's really doing that. Yeah, I just wish we could get like a, a better scene um, sometimes for in order for us to get these things combined. It's cool all these things can happen, but a lot of times bands have to go outside the U.S. and they come back in. Yeah. And yeah. In order to, to get the trend, they get big in mm. Europe and they come back and then suddenly... They, yeah, the suddenly everybody loves them, them, right? Yeah, it's like, like, how come we can't just do that from here? Hendrix had to go, you know, like overseas mm. to get it to be big. Uh, you know, a lot of big bands, um, you know, Funkadelic and stuff, they did a lot of touring overseas to get a big audience that was very supportive and then allowed them to, to do better in the U.S. Yeah. Because they could do so good in, in that environment. And and that's, you know, you just want to be able to, to, as a musician, be able to do what you want to do creatively and get supported. And it tends to, that the international audience sometimes is, is more supportive of, of acts that are doing something maybe a little off the cuff. Yeah, um, agreed. But, you know, we're kind of getting there to the end of what we can do. We can only go to like 75 minutes. Oh, okay. I really appreciate you being on the show. And this is going to get pushed out to 11 podcast platforms, including awesome. Spotify and Apple Podcast. So within an hour, I'll send you the links and I'll put up this up on my social media. The cool thing about Anchor is it has an integration with Instagram and Spotify. And the Spotify version of this podcast will be link to a story and a highlight on my Instagram channel where you can do the same thing. Oh yeah. I will definitely be sharing this. This has been such a cool experience and it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Like it's very rare that I get to go and, you know, sit and talk in depth about, you know, music historically, culturally, how it's evolved and changed. And even on an international level, like we were just talking about. So it's just not something I get to do very often. So I, I greatly appreciate you having me. This has been awesome. Yeah, I created this format because I felt like the 10-minute interview where somebody has to pay somebody yeah. to just pitch one song was not what I like. I like, you know, storytellers. I like behind the music. I like classic albums. I like reading, you know, or documentaries or biographies of musicians. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go out there and do it yeah. um, because I'm a musician. I think musicians need this. And so right. it's just getting bigger and bigger. And we're, we're happy that we get more people that are into it. Any bands that you talk to or other artists that you talk to, let them know we're we're doing this, and we we, we usually get our our guests from feedback and mm -hmm. you know working in a in a kind of community type of spirit. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely send a couple artists your way that I think would be absolutely awesome and probably love to talk to you about this stuff more. Okay, great, fuzzed up music. Everybody, check it out. Go out to all their social media. We're gonna have their links on the podcast, so click them and uh, support your favorite musician and support fuzzed up music. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Uh, we always tend to have people come back on the show. So I would love to <laughs> new project coming into future. Let us know. And we'll talk to you again. All right. I got you. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.